0: Thank you, Meliari family, for that special music. I invite you to open your Bible this evening to the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five. This has been our platform verse. This is the third in our little series on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you may keep your seats, but I'd like you to read verse 18 out loud with me. Would you do that, please? All together, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Let's read now. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What we have here, folks, is a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from the Lord for all Christians everywhere to be filled with the Spirit. You say, Pastor, what about brand new Christians? I mean, do they have to be filled with the Spirit? The answer is yes, they do. It's a command for all Christians. What about older, senior Christians that have lived for for perhaps decades and decades? Maybe they've been saved for 50 or 60 years and they've been walking with the Lord. Do they have to be filled with the Spirit? The answer is yes. This is a command given to everyone. The present tense has that idea of being being be, be being filled over and over. It's put in the present tense. And it's put in, uh, for you grammarians who know something about um, grammar, it's put in the passive voice. That means that the subject receives the action of the verb. So this means that it's something that we receive. It's to be done to us. We're to allow it to be done. It's not something that you can control yourself. All you can do is be willing to receive it. Like when you were saved, you couldn't save yourself. You had to get Jesus to save you. And what you did was you received him and his salvation. And it's the same concept. You need to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so we call it present Uh, present tense, passive voice, imperative mood. (laughs) Complicated. Sounds complicated, doesn't it? But it just very simply means it's a command to allow this to happen. And let it happen throughout the day. Let it happen over and over. That's the idea. And the, the truth is, we must have the filling of the Holy Spirit if we want to be able to live in such a way that we please God. If that's your desire, to please the Lord, then God has provided for you the Holy Spirit to do just that. In order for us to, um, to sing as unto the Lord, we can't do it unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that may come as a shock. Oh, that's odd. I thought I could just lift my voice and sing to God. And you may be doing it in the strength of the flesh. We need to do all things in the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to do my preaching in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. That makes sense, doesn't it? You would want that. You'd expect that. Well, so likewise, we need to lift our voices in unison, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've dealt with this previous. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not make you into a slobbering maniac. You're not going to do cartwheels and roll around on the floor and bark like a dog and, you know, cluck like a chicken and things like that. That's nonsense. That's almost demonic. You're not going to do any of that. Do you know of any time when Jesus got down on the ground and rolled around and moaned and groaned and clucked like a chicken? Do you know of any time when the Savior barked like a dog? Because I don't. And yet the Spirit was given completely, like without measure, was given to him. He was always Spirit-filled. Likewise, when you and I are spirit-filled, we're going to behave like Jesus. And we're going to be pleasing to the Lord. You can't properly read your Bible without being filled with the Spirit. You can't properly pray without being filled with the Spirit. There's nothing that you can do that you take for granted. that You can't do these things in a manner pleasing to the Lord without being filled with the Spirit. This is our secret weapon, folks. This is what brings us above the world. Because the world operates on a certain level. And they think a certain way and act a certain way. But it's all the world, the flesh, and sometimes the devil. We need to be far above that. The Lord Jesus, speaking to the common man, said, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the scribes and Pharisees were very religious people. But they were worldly religious people. And Jesus said, you need to be way above here. And likewise, for us to live day by day in a manner pleasing to the Lord, we also have to be way up here. We can't do it ourselves. We need to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you got saved, you also got the Holy Spirit. You're a complete package. The Holy Spirit's there inside you. It's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It's a question of how much the Holy Spirit has of you. Who's in control here? And so we want to now talk tonight some more of the details of being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to be looking at a a number of Bible verses. So... Get your fingers all stretched and ready to flip pages because we're going to be looking at several important verses. And I suggest maybe you take a couple of notes as well. You may find it helpful. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our wonderful Father, we ask you right now to allow us to be Spirit-controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit, that we might even search the Scriptures and study the Word of God tonight, filled with the Holy Spirit. Please, wonderful Holy Spirit, we know that it's the will of the Father for you to be in control of our hearts and lives. Please, we open the door. Would you please take over? Now, bless, we pray, all those here tonight and all those watching online. For we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, let's see here. Ephesians 5.18 has been sort of our theme verse that we've been working from for, well, three Sunday nights now in a row. But let's go back, shall we? To, um, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Let's go there quickly. And we're going to look, please, here at verse 13. And I want you to see that this is really, really the will of the Father. In Luke 11 and 13. And I want you to read it out loud with me, please. Read out loud with me. Don't let me read it all by myself. Help me out here. Here we go. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now here the Lord Jesus had just talked about um, an earthly father giving good gifts to his, his son. If his son should ask for bread, will he give him a stone? Well, no. If he should ask for fish, will he give him a serpent? No. Now, you might say, boy, that would be a real idiot if he gave, you know, a a rock to his son. His son asked for bread and dad gives him a rock. The way they baked their bread in the Middle East back then were these small little round loaves. And when they came out of the oven, they kind of had the resemblance of small round stones on the ground. Now, there's quite a world of difference between the two. But just in quick, casual glance, if you just got a a look, you might make a mistake. Oh, that's a stone. No, that's bread. Oh, that's bread. No, that's a stone. But a a loving father would pick it up and, oh, no, that's, that's bread. That's a stone. Throw it away. and Ah, that's bread. And he gives that to his son. And this is the idea that a loving father on earth will give a good, a proper gift. Here, son. This is good for you. It'll build your health and nutrition. It's a good gift for you. Likewise, the Father in heaven wants to give the Holy Spirit for the power of the Holy Spirit to his children. Why? Because it's what we need. We must have it. Now, if you turn to the right now, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, you see that the Lord Jesus wanted to impart the importance of this to his disciples. And so in John chapter 20, you'll see in verse uh, number 19, notice it says, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. What day was that? Anyone know? Someone tell me out loud? Sunday, right? So this Sunday night church is what we're talking about. And where are we? Sunday night church, aren't we? Yeah. It's good to be in church. And so it says, when the doors were shut, where the disciples uh, were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. And so we come down to verse 22. And he said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now this also is an imperative. It's put in the imperative mood meaning that it's a command. It's something that you are to to receive. Now, I want to be careful here because theologically at this point, the Holy Ghost had not yet been given because Christ had not yet ascended to the Father and the day of Pentecost had not yet come. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were together in the upper room and that's when the Holy Spirit was given. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the filling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is where we're taken and we are immersed into the body of Christ. We are the body. He is the head. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We must be very careful with the biblical terms. Otherwise, we're going to make a mistake. You know something? They talk about shooting rockets to the moon, right? Now, these days, they've got land rovers up on on the planet of Mars. You know that. And they've published some real... Impressive-looking 4K pictures. If you haven't seen those yet, that will blow you away. Pictures taken up on the planet Mars. I've done some reading up on it, and it is impressive, the technology and the photographs. Well, shooting a rocket to the moon, you say, ah, child's play. Yeah, well, not quite, because they have to line up their trajectory, and they've got to account for everything. And when they shoot that rocket off, if they are like one-tenth of one degree off, They will miss that moon by thousands of miles. They have to be absolutely dead on. No variance. If we make a variance and we say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something other than what the Bible says it is, we're going to get off, way off, and we're going to end up off in left field. We're going to make some pretty bad mistakes. That's why we have to be very careful to use the words the scriptures use. That's why God gave us. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what word. And so we must be careful with those words. One thing that disturbs me about a lot of modern Bible translations is that they use some pretty funny words that do not mean the same thing as the words that we have here for us in our King James Bible. King James Bible has stood the test of time folks. Now, We're not here to talk about that tonight. That'll be for another sermon. But I want you to see here the importance that Jesus laid upon the Holy Spirit. That he said to his disciples, there were 11 of them at that time. Judas went off and hung himself. Receive you the Holy Ghost. So this is very important that we do this every day. That we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit every day. Now, a few things I want to... Uh, leave with you here tonight i guess number one is don't look for a particular sensation that is a mistake this is a mistake made by the charismatics and it seems to carry over into various groups that if you're filled with the holy spirit you're going to have this sensation you may not have any physical sensation now some people are given a little more to sensation than others are. And we're not going to fault them for that. There's nothing wrong with having a little extra emotion hanging around. Nothing wrong with that at all. Others maybe not have enough emotion in their lives. You know, their, their family gets wiped out and, you know, they're just as dry-eyed as could be, you know. They just, oh, well, that's, that's life. Hey, man, your family just got wiped out. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what's, what's for supper? Maybe they need to, uh, to get a little bit of emotion in them. God is an emotional person. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible tells us that he can get angry. He can be grieved. He can be overwhelmed with joy. Yes, God, that's where we get it from, by the way. We're made in his likeness and his image. And so don't look for a particular sensation. Now, we've, we've tried to emphasize this. If you have not uh, heard, listened to, watched the last two Sunday night sermons, go home and do that. Get the uh, website, a church website, pull it up, and watch last Sunday night and the Sunday night before. And you'll, you'll get it all. We put it all in there, all the meat and potatoes. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of wildfire, strange fire going on these days in the name of Jesus And it is not of Jesus. Not everything that claims it's of Jesus is of Jesus. Can we agree on that? In Matthew 7, Jesus himself said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There are so many people today wrapped up in emotional religious services who do not know Christ as Savior. They learn our language. They walk our walk and talk our talk. They'll even maybe dress like us. But they don't know Christ as Savior. Christ is not in their hearts. In Revelation chapter 3, you've got a church called the Church of Laodicea. And a lot of those people, I think the majority of the people in that church were not even saved. You had that also at Corinth and Paul reprimanded them. And he said, he wrote to the, the church at Corinth and he, and he said, and, and some of you have not the knowledge of Christ. Not everyone that goes to church is saved. Not everyone that says amen is saved. Not everyone that prays a prayer or reads a Bible or even gets baptized and Joins is saved. They can give the impression. They can mimic. You know, they can profess but not possess the Lord Jesus. And there's a lot of people in emotional pseudo-Christianity today. They attend churches sometimes that number in the tens of thousands. There are so many of these megachurches and so many of them with unsaved people in them. That's a shame. Now, I must, I must also point out that there are a, a number of Baptist churches that try to hurry and hustle people into a sinner's prayer. And they'll grab them and sit down with them and, and say, well, now you need to know you're a sinner. And now all this is true. What they're sharing with them is true, that they're sinners alienated from God on their way to hell. They need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, you repeat these words after me. I'm sorry, Lord, for my sin. Come on, say it, say it. I'm sorry, Lord, for my sin. Come into my heart, be my Savior. Come into my heart, be my Savior. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God, brother. And they may not have even known what they've prayed. And yet their hand is being shook. Now you need to get baptized. I do, okay, where? Over there. And they get baptized and join the church. And there are a lot of well-intentioned, but I think misguided churches, sorry, but many of them are Baptist churches. Not all Baptist churches are misguided. I hope we realize that. But, you know, some are. The ones that try to to do the, we we call it a um, an, uh, an ABC, now pray after me, or a one, two, three, pray after me. And we try and hurriedly, quickly get people to pray the sinner's prayer. Well, do any of them get saved? Of course, some of them must get saved. But I think... Probably most of them don't. And I'm sorry to say that. And I do hope I'm wrong. But over the years, and I've been saved 45 years, and over the years, I've heard a lot of stories. A lot of stories. One man I know that pastored started and pastored a church of several thousand, and he moved on. Another pastor came, took over. And uh, I went and listened to that second pastor preach. And that second pastor said, you know, when I took over that church, it didn't take me long to realize most of those people weren't even saved. And they were attending the church regular and tithing. So many unsaved people in a good Baptist church. And and the church doctrine was good. And that original man was was a good man. But just in a big hurry to try and get people saved. There are places in the world you can do that, but it ends up being a house of cards. And it doesn't matter if it's Baptist or Pentecostal or Lutheran or whatever it is. It doesn't matter the title. Are they genuinely born again or are they not saved? Unfortunately, the charismatic movement has given birth to such emotionalism and they get on the bandwagon of the Holy Spirit and they, they say, when you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in new tongues. Well, that is not true. That is biblically not true. Oh, but someone says, it happened to me. Listen, I want to share with you something. The Muslims speak in tongues. The Mormons speak in tongues. There are places in the world we might look at them and say, well, they're a little backward. You know, they kind of live in In um, uh, parts, uh, almost jungle parts. And they get into their, their religious service and they speak in tongues. The gift of tongues in the New Testament was totally different than what we're seeing in the world today. Historically, tongues ceased when Israel ceased to be a nation. There was no more need for it. The Bible says that tongues are a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. The context is to the Jews. The way some charismatics speak, you'd think that tongues is all through the New Testament. It's mentioned three times in the book of Acts. That's it. And you study it. Each time there were Jews present, unsaved Jews. And, well, in one case there were saved Jews, and it was a, it was a sign to them that, they, that these Gentiles had the Holy Spirit as much as the saved Jews had. So we're not here to discuss so much about that. But we do want to say that when someone gets saved, they're going to, they have the Holy Spirit and they're going to want to let the Holy Spirit take over in their lives every day so that Christ can live his life through them. That is what it's all about. Galatians 2.20, we pointed that out in a previous sermon. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the whole idea. When the Holy Spirit's in control, then Christ is living his life through us. That's what we want. There is a a lady named Mary Aubrey. I think it's Aubrey or Audrey. Mary Audrey could have been Audrey. And this was a couple of years ago, and in a charismatic meeting, they brought her up to the front, and they were so excited, they wanted her to share this new blessing, and she talked about the left leg anointing. I was watching this on the YouTube clip, and I thought, what kind of strange monkey business is this? I had never heard of a left leg anointing. Have you? Well, this was brand new right then, and she claimed that the Holy Spirit had just given it to her. And she was, she was all bubbly and excited and saying, well, we were all just there praising the Lord. And all of a sudden, my, my left leg did a, a can-can kick high in the air. And I said, praise the Lord. And everyone fell down. Well, can you do it for us now? And she did it. And the whole front row fell down. And people say, see, 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 there's evidence, evidence of the presence of the Lord. That's nuts. That is absolutely nuts. That's, that's not evidence of the presence of the Lord. Did Jesus ever have a left leg anointing? Huh? I'll tell you, when the cutthroats came to arrest him, and they said, uh, he said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And the Bible says they all fell backward. Well, there was, Jesus didn't do a left leg anointing. There was nothing like that. You'll never see the apostle Paul or Peter, or, you know, in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council the left leg anointing. It's not there. And yet all these crazy manifestations are being done today. Many years ago, I had a young man tell me to my face that God had given him the Holy Spirit gift of being able to look at a person and just to know everything that was physically wrong with them. Show me that in the Bible. And the bottom line to all of this is, well, the preacher, there are things Of God that are not in the Bible you have to realize that and some of us have been given this extra special dose of wisdom that we have that obviously you don't have but there are other sources of truth there are many wonderful things that you don't know about pastor but they're not in the Bible but we know about them now that is absolute tomfoolery that is malarkey and don't you believe it don't you ever believe that crazy nonsense Everything that God has for us is in the word of God. Everything. We don't need uh, some other razzmatazz. Everything that we need has been given to us in that blessed book right there. We just need to read it, folks. We need to read it. Listen, don't look for a particular sensation. Now, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. As I mentioned, we're going to be looking at several verses here, and we're going to Scoot our way through them, okay? So your fingers are going to be a little tired, but we're going, to, we're going to get through these. And this point here, point number two, if you're taking notes, is you need to renounce self and die to self. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Now that's all I want to point out in this verse. The concept of being dead with Christ. Um, If you turn back to Romans chapter 6, that's a companion verse on this concept. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Now this one I want you to read out loud with me, please, would you? Verse 11 of chapter 6. Read now with me. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reckoning is like an accounting term. Some of you are accountants, and you work with figures all day long, and you've got debits and credits and plus and minus, and you've got balance sheets, and you work with figures all day long. That's what you do. Well, that's what this is here. It's an accounting term to reckon. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed with Christ. And indeed, really, that's what you need to do every day. You need to wake up and you need to say, I'm dead. I'm dead to self. I'm dead to the world, to the temptations of this world, the sins of this world, the lusts of this world, the goals and desires of this world, the things that this world says I should be uh, concerned about. I'm dead to all that stuff. I am dead to this world. But I'm alive through Jesus Christ. This ties hand in hand with that Galatians 2.20 verse and the Colossians 2.20 verse we just looked at. So, renounce yourself. So, uh, point one is don't look for a particular sensation. You're going to make a mistake. Two is renounce yourself. Die to self. Number three is to literally cast yourself upon the Holy Spirit. Cast yourself into his arms. And for this, we'll go to 1 Corinthians, just to the right, a few pages only. 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. And I'd like you to see verse 4. And here is Paul's own experience. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. His teaching, his preaching, it was all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. I imagine that if the Apostle Paul were here tonight, maybe his voice would crack at times. Maybe perhaps um, it would be a little difficult to listen to him. Perhaps he would just use very plain language. But it would be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's the difference. Some of the great orators. Picture this if you would. The great orator. Step up behind the pulpit. And they adjust things. And they rear back. And with their arms and hands. And their voice. And they bring great emotion. Into the message. But what's the result? No one gets saved. No one comes under conviction. And someone like Paul. Hobbles up behind the pulpit and preaches the word of God in the power of the Spirit, and great conviction come upon people. There's the difference there. We're not interested in the golden pipes of these glorious orators. We're interested in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, to get this, to get the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, you need to ask and maybe even beg you need to say, Lord, is there anything standing in the way? That kind of brings us here to this next point. And we're going to turn to the right to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to share with you three things that will kill the filling of the Holy Spirit. So go to Ephesians, would you please? Chapter 4. And I'd like you to read with me verse number 30. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Read that out loud with me now, please. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You are not going to lose the sealing. If you sin, God will reprove you, but you will remain sealed unto the day of redemption when he takes you home to heaven. You will not lose the glorious gift. He knows you are his. You're born again. You're part of his family. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. But it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grief is a word that we often use in context of death and funeral. When a loved one passes and we're just overtaken with grief. And sometimes we don't have the words. Sometimes we just want to close ourselves in. It feels so, so alone, so dark, so cold, so strange. And we're just hurting inside. And we perhaps can't e- even weep. We're beyond that. The feeling of grief. That's how the Holy Spirit feels when we sin. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. When you and I sin, it causes grief. My, you say, well, what kind of sin would would cause him to grieve like that? Well, look in your Bible. Go back to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't you ever take the Lord's name in vain. You know, there's a lot of people who would never take the Lord's name in vain, but there are substitute words. Have you ever heard of them? Golly is a substitute word for God. I know a man, he's actually dead now, he's a Christian man. He would never take the Lord's name, Jesus, in vain. But often you'd hear him say, geez, not realizing he's taken the Lord's name in vain. It's just a substitute word. You don't have to take my word for it. You can can look up online now. Um, what's that word that they use for uh, colloquialisms and uh, uh, urban way of speaking? There's a special word they have for it. Anyone think of it? What is it? What is it? Slang. Yeah, like slang. And there's a lot of slang words, lots of slang words in English. And there's lots of them that refer to certain kind of men who do certain things and certain kind of women who do certain things. And these are slang words. They used to call them minced oaths. Minced oaths. This is corrupt communication. And don't let it ever come out of your mouth. Because you're going to grieve your best friend, the Holy Spirit. And when he's grieved, he's not going to fill you. He's not going to take over because he's grieving. He's grieving. Look back, please, in verse 27, 28, I should say. Let him that stole steal no more. Don't take things without permission. Oh, no one will mind. Ah, I just take it from work. They got plenty of them. They won't miss it at all. Well, that's stealing. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You fly off the handle at people. That's sin. And you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 25. Wherefore put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Lying. Tell the truth. Otherwise, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cannot and will not fill you. You see? And so it's very important. Now, uh, go back a a page or two to Galatians chapter 5. And please look at verse 17. And there you go. There's our, our problem there. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Capital S. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Hmm. Did you know it's very important that you yield yourself and control to the Lord? Here, go back to Romans chapter 6, companion verse here. Romans chapter 6. Please look at verse 12 and 13. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. If you yield yourself unto sin, you're not going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will reap what you sow. If you yield yourself daily to the Holy Spirit and to God's glory, you likewise will reap what you sow. Only you'll like this reaping. This is a good reaping. You'll like this one. And the Holy Spirit will want to fill you. So the first thing is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now the second thing is in First Thessalonians. So turn to the right. Past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Find that, and I want you to help me and read out loud verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 19. Read it out loud now with me. All four words. Here we go. Quench not the Spirit. Now, quenching is different from grieving. If you've ever made a little fire... And when you're finished with it, you pour water on it or sand, you are smothering that fire. You're depriving it of oxygen, and you are quenching it. And that's another way in which you can kill off the Holy Spirit's work in your life is by quenching him. And do not do that. Do not quench him. Say, how do I quench him? When you resist his promptings and his urgings. The Holy Spirit says, go to church. No. The Holy Spirit says, come on, let's tithe. Let's support missionaries. Oh, no, I can't afford to. The Holy Spirit says, give a gospel tract to this person and and invite them to church or tell them about Jesus. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. I I can't do that. I'm not a orator. I'm not a, a speaker. I don't have golden pipes. And by resisting the Holy Spirit, We're pouring cold water on the fire. We're throwing sand. We're depriving it of oxygen and air. We are literally quenching the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another example of this. If you turn back to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Here's a prime time example of resisting the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7. This is part of the great sermon that uh, Stephen, the deacon, preached to all of the Jews that were listening. He was on trial for his life. They hated him. They hated, they couldn't stand against the logic. So they used illogical arguments against him. And so in verse 51... Look what Stephen told them. He said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. And here they were. And the Jews of of that day were resisting what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell them about sin and righteousness and judgment to come. They were resisting the truth about who Jesus was. That he was not just some man. He was the Messiah. And they were resisting this. No, no, we will not have this man reign over us. Now, you might say, well, pastor, time out. You're talking about unsaved people there. Yeah, I know it. But I'll tell you something. A gun, a loaded gun in the hand of an unsaved person or a loaded gun in the hand of a saved person is just as dangerous. Either one, the gun can go off. Either one can cause tremendous harm and damage and death. Either one. We're told very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 to quench not. And it's that idea of resisting the promptings of the holy spirit do you remember back before covid we used to have full church services the place was full spirit of god was moving on the invitation did you ever feel i need to go forward i need to deal with something but did you always did you hold back that's resisting see the devil's not telling you to go forward and get right with jesus on something you know, the devil won't tell you that one, okay? The devil will tell you. Just stay put. You don't have to go forward. You can deal with it here. If you go forward, someone might think there's sin in your life. You don't want that. When we resist the Holy Spirit, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, especially when we know it's the right thing, why we are quenching the Holy Spirit. Last one. And uh, we're in the book of Acts. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Almost done here, folks. Matthew chapter number 13. We see it here in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me, please. Verse 58, chapter 13 of Matthew. Altogether, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Underline those last words because of their unbelief. And this is essentially the third way in which we can destroy the mighty working of the Holy Spirit in our lives is simple unbelief. I don't believe it. I don't believe that. No, I don't believe it. You know something, we started this church um, almost 21 years ago. We're coming up on our 21st birthday. Back then, if someone had told us that one day we'd be in this great building and we'd have the great ministries we have and we're supporting all of the many missionaries that we do and that we have our own Bible college, if someone came to our church and told us people of Grace Baptist, God loves you and he wants to use you in a great way. And through you, he's going to support 85 missionaries and start a Bible college. He's going to get a bus ministry started. He's going to get a, a fantastic soul winners program going and a fire brigade program with gospel tracts. He's going to move you from building to building into the great big building that, that you will be in one day. I wonder how many of us would have sat there and said, no, no, he's not going to do that. I mean, look around. What do you see? Like 20 people? (laughs) You got the wrong church, fella. This is the problem Jesus ran into. It was in his own country, according to verse 57. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Look at the book of Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. I told you we're going to get a little workout here tonight, but that's good. That's good. Romans chapter four. Here, the context in the last verses here, we're talking about Abraham, the father of us all, Abraham in verse 16. And so let's see verse 18, who against hope believed in hope verse 19 and being not weak in faith. Verse 20 is what I want you to see. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. That's Abraham, the father of the faithful. You see, it's unbelief that's going to kill things. The Holy Spirit is trying to use us to reach the city of Surrey. Oh, don't you know there's over 600,000 people in this city? How are we ever going to reach them with the gospel? Well, I can think of one good way to get their attention. Well, how are we going to do that? We pray and ask God to do a miracle and give us the building on 104. The whole city is going to wake up one morning and say, what? That, that building is now owned by a little church? Impossible. How did it happen? And we will have the glorious opportunity to tell them our God lives and God did a miracle. We'll be able to get their attention. Now, that's one way I can think of. Can you think of another way to give the gospel message to the whole city of Surrey? If, if you can, I'd like to hear about it after church. I'm open to suggestions. I want to see God's gospel go to all of the people of Surrey, over 600,000. Unbelief says that's ah, impossible. That's why it won't happen. According to your faith, be it unto you. That's what Jesus said. Go, please, with me to Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews. Now we're getting closer to the end of the New Testament. And we're just about at the end of this sermon. Hebrews chapter 3. And I'd like you to help me on one last verse of Scripture. This is our last verse we're going to look at. It's in verse number 12. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Would you read it out loud together with me, please? All together. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You say, is this talking about saved people or unsaved people? I think it applies to both, to be quite honest with you. And I think that there are a lot of saved people in whose lives God can do very little because of their unbelief. They just refuse to believe that we serve a God of miracles. They refuse to believe that we can pray and get a church started, that we can pray and get a Bible college started, that we can pray and support 85 missionaries, that we can pray and reach the city of Surrey. This, I think, kills off. The filling of the Holy Spirit is unbelief. There's the this, this, this sin of grieving. Basically, sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Then there's the, the quenching, the resisting of the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then, folks, there's just plain, outright disbelief. The Holy Spirit will control us to the extent that we allow him. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not a mean ogre who will just come in and take over. He's waiting for us to bow out, step out or get out of the driver's seat so that he can take over. That's what we want with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have heard the name D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. He was one of the greatest evangelists of the 1800s. I believe it was 1899 is when he, he passed away, went home to heaven. He had a wonderful worldwide ministry they estimate that perhaps a million people came to know Christ through his evangelistic preaching. One evening, he was speaking to a large audience. And Mr. Moody held up a glass. It was an empty glass. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, inside this glass is a certain quantity of air. There's air all around us, but inside this glass, there is air. How can I get the air out of that glass? Right away, one man raised his hand and he said, attach a pump, an air pump to it and suck all the air out. And Mr. Moody says, well, there's an idea right there. But, he said, there's a possibility that it'll create a vacuum so strong that it'll shatter the glass. And a couple other people offered suggestions. And what Mr. Moody said then was, I believe I have the solution. And he walked over to a little table on which was a pitcher of water. And he filled the glass with water. And he said, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I've driven out all of the air by filling it with water. Now, I don't know if Mr. Moody was aware that technically in water is air. It's H2O, right? I'm not sure that, but that's not the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration was that he got rid of the air by filling it with water. And he went on to say, you'll never get victory by trying to suck out sins, suck out a sin here and suck out a sin there. You'll never get victory. What you want is to get filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will drive out all of the sin. That was a pretty good illustration I thought he gave. Dr. Andrew Murray was a tremendous man of God. A prolific writer and a great uh, preacher and evangelist. And he said these words, may not a single moment in my life be, be, be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence. And not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to fill full of his spirit and his love. That hits the nail on the head. Folks, we really need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are, there's the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, faith, meekness. It's all there. They're character qualities of Christ because Christ will be in control and he will live his life through us. Well, this sort of finishes up our little three-part series on the Holy Spirit. As I say, if you missed any one of the three, go home and watch it. It's online. And let this become the desire of your heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And you just watch when Jesus is in control. You just watch. You will see he will bring about some amazing things happening in your life. You will be living the Christian life the way it's meant to be lived would you close your eyes and bow your head in prayer wonderful heavenly father thank you so very much for the marvelous Holy Spirit thank you thank you thank you that we can be filled with the spirit every day all through the day and I pray we would Lord this world is really desperate and dying to see Jesus Christ in us and we ask please that All of your people here at Grace Baptist Church would learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day of their lives till Jesus come. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen.